to Don't You Want Me, a podcast series taking a light-hearted look at the most relatable, intriguing and dysfunctional relationships in film. I'm Kat. And I'm Rich. And it doesn't matter how many new haircuts you get or gyms you join or how many glasses of Chardonnay you drink with your girlfriends, you still go to bed every night going over every detail and wonder what you did wrong or how you could have misunderstood. And how in the hell for that brief moment you could think that you were that happy. And sometimes you can even convince yourself that he'll see the light and show up at your door. And after all that, however long all that may be, you'll go somewhere new. And you'll meet people who make you feel worthwhile again. And little pieces of your soul will finally come back. And all that fuzzy stuff. Those years of your life that you wasted. That will eventually begin to fade. In this episode, we're whipping up some Christmas fettuccine with 2006's The Holiday, written, produced and directed by Nancy Myers. Twinkling with a cast of A-listers and boasting a very popular Hans Zimmer score, over the last decade or so, The Holiday has slowly but surely been nudging Richard Curtis's Love Actually out of top position as the 21st century's most revisited mistletoe comedy. What is it about this combination of mini marshmallows, eyelid snogs and nods to old Hollywood that gets us fuzzy in December? Let's pop some napkins on our heads and discuss. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider leaving us a nice rating or corny review on your podcast app of choice. We like corny. We want corny in our life. And we have a very special guest joining us for this Kashmir edition. It's the host of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest podcast, as well as the holiday season, a podcast dedicated to this very film we're covering tonight. It's movie expert Nancy Myers head cheerleader, Sam Clements. Hello, Sam. Hey, guys. Nice to see you. Nice to see you, too. So, Sam, can you tell us a little bit about your relationship to this movie and Nancy Myers' work in general? So I, I saw this film on release. This film was released in 2006 up against uh, a little-known film called Casino Royale with someone called James Bond in it. Mm. And, uh, and, and I just saw it at my local multiplex and it was Christmas. It came out in early December and I thought that looks fun. <laughs> so I went, I think I was maybe like, I don't know, it must have been like 20 or 19 or 20. I was at university and I went with my my uh, friends from our halls of residence. So maybe, yeah, it was probably like 19 in the younger end of university. And uh, and yeah, we, we had one of those cards that lets you go to the cinema as much as you like. So we just saw everything. And we all went along, a group of lads, and had a lovely time with this film. And it's really stuck with me. And I don't think I thought much of it sort of straight after in 2006 I sort of enjoyed it went on my way probably watched Casino Royale right after and then something else and then something else but when I left university I moved to London where I live now I was in a house share and you know in house shares you sort of recommend films to your friends and and I said oh the holiday's actually pretty decent and everyone just sort of scoffed as if it could as if it could not be decent how could this film with some of the greatest actors in the world by this you know pedigree uh you know incredible hollywood uh director um could be any good so i i said no no, let's put the holiday on i I promise you you will enjoy it you know if nothing else whilst you're watching it it might not stay with you but you'll have a good time and and everyone did and and i've just sort of started recommending the holiday to people and uh and and just got more and more obsessed as i was re-watching it with different audiences like it's got a power to win an audience over and I, I do kind of enjoy that 
And do you think that it's sort of typical of Nancy Myers's work, the relationships in this one? Nancy Myers is sort of the relationship queen, I think, in, in her films, whether it be a relationship with an older person and a younger person, a family, a romantic relationship, a friend relationship. Like, you know, she's she loves writing dialogue in her films. She loves working with smaller casts. And, and it really is about how you know, the sort of verbal swordplay between uh, whoever the protagonists are in, in a given picture. So I guess I did, but she is not like known for doing sort of like seasonal fare, particularly. Um, I think the holiday is, is, is sort of reminiscent of so many of her films for so many reasons, but I think it also stands out on its own uh, a little bit. Like it's, it's, I think it's a little, maybe almost sort of the black sheep in the Nancy Myers um, sort of filmography. Yeah, yeah, completely. Well, it has it has so many things that she touches on in some of her other movies. Like it's it's got you know stuff about parenting, about some of the pains of being single in there, about divorce, about sex, and it's even got a little bit about toxic situations in the workplace, which is a real theme running through a lot of her films. I went and watched Baby Boom for the first time, which I really loved, and watched The Intern and um, What Women Want, went and revisited that one. I was really struck by how she manages to kind of weave quite a lot of sort of darkness into her very otherwise, in some ways, escapist movies. And she's not really given enough credit for that, I think. I think she's a realist, maybe not a realist, but I think she comes from a place of reality with her films. Like, you know, she has had a really interesting life and and she's worked for a lot of that, often with her then husband, they're not together anymore. And and she brought her kids up whilst making movies. Her kids were often on set. And I, I think there's just like, she is a big family person. Like she literally brought her family to work every day. Uh, you know, they would sort of, when the kid, her kids were tiny, uh, they would make... Um, cots for them you know sort of on the soundstage to go and go and have a sleep whilst they were doing something else like so she's family is so important for her and if you follow her on instagram now nancy myers is very active on instagram listeners there's so much about family on there her daughters and and all of her extended family and and you can i think that's what comes through the films like with baby boom for example clearly you know so much stuff that went through her head and stuff that she experienced in some way has made it into what is a really great diane keaton comedy you know completely we noticed that actually um i was saying this was the first time i'd seen the film since the cinema so what 16 coming up to 16 years and and i guess my, my views on it had mellowed but it was nice to see that i'd forgotten that john krasinski was in this and he had a very small part and this would have been around i suppose the time the the office was starting and then he must have impressed nancy Myers sufficiently because he got promoted from small bit part in this to i think he was Meryl Streep's son, was he, or, or son-in-law? Son-in-law, son-in-law. Yeah. Yeah. It's complicated. So he obviously made an impression there. He's become family. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, it's, I mean that, that that's wild, isn't it? As well, like John Krasinski's one-scene role and Catherine Hand's barely any role at all in that same scene. Yeah, <laughs> I'd love to see him carry a Nancy Myers film. Actually, John Krasinski, I think that he'd be a really good lead, and uh, she should make another one and have him as a lead. Maybe. What do you think? Come on, Nancy, you can do this. Nancy Myers is making another film. It's been, oh, to intern, I think it was like 2015. So it's been a while, but she is making a film for Netflix now. And uh, I don't know if the cast has been revealed yet. So maybe maybe this is John's time to shine. Ooh, yes. 
Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> um, I mean, in, in this one, you know, for, for those who haven't watched it, and why have you downloaded this podcast? But um, <laughs> ultimately, we, you know, and, and we're a, a podcast that talk about relationships. And, and in this one, we've got two very central relationships where you've got um, Amanda, who's just split up with her cheating partner Edward Burns I mean this is one of those things where I guess in in films like this everyone's devilishly handsome and even Ed Burns was kind of you know very busy at the times and she found out that he'd been cheating on her and then at the same time Iris in London Kate Winslet found out that the guy she was in love with and was stringing her along over a period of it's about three years he was working at the Telegraph and even on that day was still sort of talking about shenanigans uh, it turned out he was engaged <laughs> and being the wedding columnist that uh, famous telegraph role uh, <laughs> she found out it was a proper scoop at the christmas party and um yeah a proper case of both unrequited love and being spurned at the same time it's uh, very much a, a, a strong opening to the film where both leading ladies are crushed in different ways and decide to embark on this house swap it's um it's very 2006 in the way the internet's portrayed but uh i wonder if people will be a bit more careful these days <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think it's a fantastic opening that um that telegraph party and i think that the the relationship between iris and jasper is very convincing i think it's the kind of relationships probably happening you know so so often to people that thing of you know someone kind of keeping someone a little bit on string in the background while they get on with things but also as i said earlier it kind of feeds into this feeling of um that nancy Myers is, is very often interested in in guys taking credit for women's sort of ideas at work a little bit because all the way through the film he's you know sexually interested in it but he's also saying can you take a look at these pages can you give me your edits can you know and that all of that that idea of her being a little bit exploited all the way through is is um is really interesting i think it's very it's it's a unique relationship to have in a film like this i think it, it, it's sort of it's quite complex isn't it like i yeah. think the film one of the clever things about the holiday is you can market it as a festive rom-com or you know pure christmas film even though christmas is not depicted in the film or you could watch it in june and just enjoy the fact that it is you know a comedy set at a certain time of year or a romance and there's lots going on but but yeah they like what nancy myers does is she doesn't ever Take you know she always takes the subject seriously. She doesn't ever undersell her own concept. She casts world like stage famous actors. You know like these are some of the biggest and best actors in the world, and she she treats it deadly seriously. Yeah, which is which is why I think we can sort of enjoy some of the darker turns or the more grown up turns. Um, not that there's loads in the film, but but you're right. You know, so it's you know there's some real real life you know sort of issues at play here. And, uh, and 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 yeah, you know, I, I just think she doesn't undersell her subject ever, and maybe that's one of the enduring, uh, you know, appeals of the film. Like that, you know, the fact you got John Krasinski and Catherine Han in barely roles, you know, like there are these characters who have one scene, but she still went for some of the best of the best to fill that spot. Yes, and I think that Rufus Sewell is incredibly well cast in that role because he doesn't actually have that much time on screen, but I think that he very effectively gets across with Kate Winslet the dynamic of that 
toxic little relationship that they've got got going on there. And you can really see his magnetism, can't you? You can you can understand the. I, I there's some very funny bits of dialogue in that party as well with them. Um, you know, her saying, to, you're not meant to do his bloody laundry. And her going, how do I do his laundry? Did someone tell you I did his laundry? I always think that's really funny. It's great. Well, they'd been a real life couple, hadn't they? At some point? I believe I think... so. I heard that back in the day. Yeah. Uh, Kate Winslet yeah. and Rufus Yule. Yeah, I believe so. Oh, I didn't know that. You guys know the film yeah. better than I do. <laughs> uh... I just know gossip. Yeah. Uh, I do Spotted know that Rufus Yule wasn't there <laughs> so Kate Winslet <laughs> shot her scene separate from Rufus Sewell at the party oh that's because... ruined everything <laughs> but, but, but the interesting thing is Jude Law stood in for Rufus Sewell in the scene where she gives him the Christmas present in the red sort of wrapping paper from her desk and it, they're supposedly in the same room her like corner office where the telegraph party is going on outside um, and you'll notice they're never they're never on screen at the same time they're just sort oh. of you just cut between the two of them and uh, Kate Winslet I mean the film in our podcast we sort of explore how long the film took to make uh, it took a very long time to make and everybody overran and Kate Winslet I think was late for another job so she had a hard out and Jude Law obviously wasn't there at the time, so so they they and Rufus Yule sorry wasn't there, so Jude Law uh, was who's been in LA for such a long time waiting for his stuff to be shot was sort of on set hanging out, and I guess he read some of Rufus Yule's lines. Oh <laughs> so. wow, that's so fascinating. It's it's interesting how things can spawn in jokes as well. When I first saw this movie, I think my my then boyfriend and I rented it on DVD. And then it spawned and on. We kept for some reason we found the line buried in that little place we found in Covent Garden that time. Hilarious! And I can remember, you know, if one of us got like a new toilet cleaner, the other said, "Where did you get it?" Oh, buried in that little place we found in Covent Garden that time. It's very, it's interesting this film because I think it's sort of a mixture of stuff that, um, yeah, lines that are, are really good with other ones that are quite, I don't know, delivered in quite a funny way. I don't know what you think about that. Uh, I, I mean, like, there's so many things I think we say in our house which are from the holiday without realizing it's from yeah. the holiday. Um, but I mean, Nancy Myers is a great writer. You know, she writes and directs all of her films, um, and and she puts. I think the writing is where she is. Like I, I watched, um, it's on YouTube. There's a she did a BAFTA screenwriters talk a few years ago, and even though she does all these other jobs, produces and, and directs, and, and she's very involved in, in every department seemingly on her films, she considers herself to be a writer. That's like what she would put at the top of her CV, uh, which I find quite interesting because people often, I guess, think the director is sort of the, you know, the sort of best job or whatever if you're working behind the scenes. It seems to be the top spot. But Nancy Myers is a writer first, so every line of dialogue has been carefully crafted. Yes, I think that really when you're watching a film like Something's Gotta Give, it really comes across how she's um, she's very much into that writer's mentality. You know, Diane Keaton's role there as being the play, sort of frustrated playwright and needing the right inspiration to get her going and stuff. Yeah, no, you, could, you absolutely see that um, how she... And even Kate Winslet's role in this, she, she sees things from a writer's point of view, doesn't she? 
Rich, I think that you might be a bit more cynical about some of the relationships in this movie. Well, I don't know. I mean, part of me, the the old curmudgeon, was quite (laughs) excited to hear the... Was he the the chief bandit in The Magnificent Seven talking about meat-cutes? I mean, we we talk about meat-cutes quite a lot in our films and in our podcasts, and to have Eli Wallach talking about them was was quite a novelty as well. Well, this was some meat-cute... Sorry? It's how two characters meet in a movie. I mean, well, when, you, when you look at the way that the relationships are structured and, and you almost, and this sounds horrible, but you kind of feel bad for Kate Winslet, really, because um, she and Jack Black's character, they have, I say a relationship, the, the, the way they kind of get together is, is very much a slow burn and she's waiting for him and his girlfriend cheats on him so they're kind of almost in a in one of those relationships where they use each other as a crutch and and yet with with Cameron Diaz and Jude Law there's this instant attraction I mean he's pissed but <laughs> it's, Cam- it's Cameron Diaz so and um you know the, the the two of them immediately like I mean he's pissed turns up at her house at midnight and doesn't know who she is and I think she invites him for uh intercourse quite quickly into their um that's actually the line in the film as well yeah <laughs> just to uh yeah put, put a spin on it we're trying to get a child-friendly rating on this and um and and you kind of think that their relationship is is really quite intense you know she wants to go home and then she thinks about him in his tan and sweaters in in lovely pubs um and then with Kate Winslet and Jack Black you kind of they look like they get on really well they're, they're quite happy in each other's company but you just kind of think that that the and this is the the way i suppose that having two relationships keeping the film up is is good because you can have that instant attraction between two attractive people and then Kate Winslet and Jack Black is probably more like oh they probably they're probably really good friends. Oh, th- this is interesting because whenever I have heard anyone talk about the whole day or I talk to people about this movie, I, f- I find that it really there seems to be a really equal divide between the people that find the Kate Winslet storyline more relatable and the Cameron Diaz one. What do you think, Sam? Have you found that as well, sort of roughly or not? I think well, I, I guess there's so the audience is so integral to all of this, um, you know, sort of stuff, and, and I'm sure maybe some people might you know resonate more with Eli Wallach or with you know Jasper, that yeah. devilish cad um, <laughs> played by Rufus Sewell. But I, I, I have definitely thought about the relationships in the film, and I personally don't think either one is going to last. They're both like you know holiday flings. They, Cameron Diaz and Jude Law start talking about the possible futures and it doesn't feel like they could ever make it work because he's got the kids in you know, in school or whatever and, and Cameron Diaz is you know running this business literally outside <laughs> from her own sort of home. Yeah. Um, and with, with Kate Winslet and Jack Black, it just feels like the reason they're in a relationship or their position that way is just because they're there. Like she's a fish out of water and and he sort of you know is is just kind of available and 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 is you know like he's a lovely fun guy but i don't sort of see them staying in touch beyond sort of christmas cards um down the down the line but um but i i guess what nancy's doesn't want to show us two of the same relationships she's just trying to sort of you know show different types of relationships and there's like that slow burn like you were saying and you know that instant attraction you know very sexual sort of one that cameron 
Diaz and Jude Law have, which is which is kind of interesting. Like they move at their own um, their own pace there. <laughs> yeah, the I think maybe my least favorite line that Nancy Myers, who I really like, has written is the that exchange. How do you feel about foreplay? I think it's overrated. Significantly overrated. You are quickly becoming one of the most interesting girls I've ever met. <laughs> you can think, yeah. Well. I think that was very like it feels very two thousand and six, that sort of stuff, it doesn't does. it? Like and I don't know, I guess like it is interesting that it's sort of coming from Nancy Myers, but I, I think she at that point is thinking like she's been quite cutting edge, maybe or, or or something that does date the film. But then Nancy Myers is sort of operating in her own space where she's inspired by films from like the fifties and sixties. Billy Wilder, a really big uh, you know imprint on her, and and I think the time she's making this, you know, she's you know, been through a marriage like she's just in a different place to the characters seeing on screen so she hasn't been on a first date or an intense you know sort of thing like jude law and cameron diaz are doing you know i guess for some time because she's in a different part of her life but yeah it's, it's interesting hearing it come out of their mouths <laughs> yeah well it's interesting that one because i think when i first saw it i took it very much at face value but now when i when i watched it the last time i thought well maybe maybe that exchange is meant to be kind of bound up in the fact that she's just had a relationship Amanda this is um, had a relationship where the person has been actually very you know kind of negative with her about about um, mm-hmm. their love making and, and you know ha- hasn't made her feel like maybe it can be that much of an enjoyable experience so maybe it's sort of born out of that I think she also hasn't had sex like she says they haven't had sex for such a long time I think she is like that. that's Nancy Myers saying you know like this character this is what she really, really wants right now. And, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like, I guess, yeah, she sort of she still wants to position Jude Law as being the perfect partner, you know, offering foreplay. And, yes. and Nancy yeah. Myers is like, no, that's not the time, you know, Cameron Diaz really just wants you. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, but yeah, I think it is sort of, it's, it's, it's her way of building the character, even through little lines like that. You know, he's Mr. Perfect. Cameron Diaz hasn't had sex in a long time. Let's get together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, nothing dates this film more than Jude Law in his bootcut jeans and brown loafers. He's either in 2006 or he's on his way to watch some rugby at Twickenham. But, uh... yeah. <laughs> well, you had yeah. some funny trivia, didn't you, Sam, about his, um, about his tan? I mean, the costumes are definitely very 2006. I remember when I was watching it that those jeans were kind of popular. They're not popular now, uh, listeners. <laughs> but the, yeah, so, I mean, Jude Law, so the film, like, overran a lot, I think by about six months in the end, which is quite a lot, considering that's an extra six-month salary you have to pay to everybody working on the film. That's an extra six months of hotels and, and apartments and, you know, trailers and all this sort of stuff that, you know, people have to stay. An extra six months of food, you know, for the small village of people who are making this movie. And uh, and Jude Law, whilst he was waiting to shoot his scenes in the studio, which is all shot in Los Angeles, um, the production paid for him to have a house in L.A. with a swimming pool. He brought his kids over. They just had a lovely extended sort of break, I suppose, with him waiting to be called on set. Of course, when you're in a swimming pool in LA, you might catch the sun uh, a little bit. So what we see 
when Jude Law's inside in the film is him after, well, up to six months of sunbathing <laughs> um, there. And, and he was saying that he was try, trying to keep in the shade and like trying to put on sun cream, but he's got this complexion where like, you know, he could stand outside for 10 minutes and he'll start to get a tan. So um, his skin, his English skin wasn't ready for, um, for LA, I don't think. But then he'll go outside, weirdly, and then he'll lose the tan because that was all shot in England. <laughs> Because it is, it is quite marked, I think, in some of those indoor scenes, isn't it? So it all makes sense because, now. Yeah. Because he's wearing um, blue quite a lot, I think blue really brings out the sort of orange yeah. tan, <laughs> the orange and brown tan on his skin sometimes. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't think the costume <laughs> lends itself to it. The scene where he's in bed with Cameron Diaz and sort of the sheets are perfectly white and she's in her white underwear and he's there sort of having been on a, looking like he's on a sunbed made of mahogany for the best part of those six months and it just stands out so much doesn't it it's uh it's very december in surrey yeah that's the thing it's supposed to be snowing and it's christmas <laughs> this is the thing about um about graham and uh amanda is that they both look so because they also have cameron diaz having that rant at the beginning of the movie about you know the stress of life making women look haggard and while I, I i think it's a good i think it's a good monologue there's something about cameron diaz looking that perfect while delivering <laughs> this kind of like i'm you know uh yeah you think you, you're not gonna have any any worries i don't think cameron you're, you're definitely not looking haggard and the two of them just look so so gorgeous together all the way through the movie that it's quite interesting that one of the little girls says to cameron diaz oh you look like my barbie because it at moments, they do look a bit like kind of Ken and Barbie bumping together, the two of them, I think, just because, you know, they're both very conventionally gorgeous people. <laughs> I think that, that line, I think that line came up. I think one of the girls actually said that and Nancy Myers sort of wrote it into the script. Yes. Um, I might yes. be speaking out of time, but I think that's come up either in the ether or, or from someone on our podcast. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I know, I'm overdressed you look like my barbie some of the themes that we we often look at in in the episodes that we do and they're in the way that some films have aged differently i mean this film's what time recording 16 years old and you know cameron diaz when she talks to to jude law and i'm going to use their actor names because it's just easier and she says, oh, my ex-boyfriend told me I was bad at sex. You know, she, she's clearly come out of what sounds like quite an abusive relationship. Yeah. And she's had all the, and then all of a sudden you've got your Poundland Terrence Stamp throwing himself at her <laughs> in, in her, um, this, this nice little Guildford cottage. But, you know, she, she's been through a lot and she's, and again, this is a theme of, of the Nancy Myers films that I've seen anyway. You know, this is a woman who's doing incredibly well for herself in in her professional life and and now she's in this situation where she's getting away from a guy who's cheated on her and sounds like he's been a right arsehole and now you're in a position where she you're just like go on it's christmas enjoy yourself <laughs> <laughs> well that's the thing both women are doing so well that's that's something about um kate winslet's character that some that i thought watching it this time was that i completely get why she's, you know, so so upset by this relationship that she's in with Rufus Sewell's character. But more generally, she has a kind of demeanour of feeling so incredibly miserable of just about the idea of being single. And you just think, 
you know, she's got this fantastic job. She's obviously from an incredibly successful family. She's got a lovely cottage. It's another one of these instances where we quite often cover films where we sort of notice some of these things where hopefully now there'd be a bit of a different focus on some of the, you know, just these incredibly successful smart women who seem to have you know, such anxiety around being single, even momentarily in their life, you know. And you think, hopefully people wouldn't feel that much social stigma now, you know. I mean, Kate Winslet looks so sort of, sort of plaintively at that guy at the plane, you know, when the guy, handsome guy comes and almost sits down next to her and it turns out that he's got a wife and she kind of looks like her hopes have been dashed. (laughs) I really wish that there'd been a scene in it, actually, where her character you know, gets an offer from a really nice single guy and she turns him down because he wasn't her specific taste. Because as I think you guys have already said, there is something a little bit at the end of the movie when she gets together with Jack Black's character. Because they maybe haven't told you that much about how Iris feels towards him. You don't know whether she's going with him by default or whether she is really into him. I think we've, um, we've, in terms of the, like, the weighting of the story, like Jude Law and Cameron Diaz's relationship starts, you know, basically from their first scene together. And, and the, the, I think the Jack Black and the Kate Winslet sort of stuff, it, it really is in like the final third where they start to consider each other as a potential relationship. So I think as a viewer, you're maybe less invested yeah. there. Like she, she also splits a lot of her time with Eli Wallach's character, um, which is a very different relationship. Uh, there you know and and uh, i don't know i think i guess it feels like she's got a bit more sort of going on uh, jude law's got his kids but the, the, yes. again, they're sort of brought in later it's kind of when the jack black stuff is brought in for iris it's a funny it's a funny mix but i like that you know we're seeing different sides of life uh, oh, definitely. With, with, with all of this uh there i think um i guess in terms of like the sort of want like nancy Myers is very good at putting her characters in a like a financially stable position. So we're not sort of worried about how they're ever going to pay the bills. People in a Nancy Myers film can always pay their bills. Um, <laughs> yeah. But the things that you can't buy with money, you know, love, happiness, relationships, etc. That's what Nancy's really interested in exploring. Um, and I love how in all of her films, you know, there's like a different take on the workplace and, and sort of the emphasis on it. But it is usually, you know, the protagonists are working um, or have worked sort of their whole life. Oh, and now sort of like, you know, dealing with retirement and uh, and, and then sort of the relationship thing. And, and she sort of has, a, I guess, like poses a similar problem in lots of films, but there's always a different solution for it. And I think that's something that she's really sort of trying to work out herself, you know, like what's a good way to present this? And, you know, is there a right way? And, and you can tell she's like coming up with these different scenarios based on things that she's going through at the time. Yes, completely. I think you you raised Billy Wilder earlier, didn't you? And the apartment, and we did an episode on the apartment. And it's interesting how this film definitely feels influenced by it. But as you say, the the sort of the financial circumstances of the characters feels very different. And um, at the core, though, it's dealing with com- some quite similar things. I mean, the the relationship between um, the central character in the apartment with her affair with the married man is quite similar to what iris is going through with jasper in this isn't it so yeah and um and and when you come to it now i mean some of the little features in there would have uh, the the part i i enjoyed was cameron diaz having the movie trailer kind of narrating her narrative um (laughs) (laughs) and you kind of feel like that would have been also amusing had they done it with with iris as well 
Um, I don't know how because the guy who did the voiceover for the trailer was he the guy that did the um, do you remember seeing the trailer for that Jerry Seinfeld film the comedian Um, he did all the different trailers the kind of inner world um, I think he's I think it is that guy the the quote unquote trailer guy (laughs) in a world where laughter was king Uh, no in a world Jack what do you mean, no, in a world? It's not that kind of movie. Oh? Okay. In a land that... No, in a land either. In a time... No, I don't think so. In a land before time. It's about a comedian, Jack. I wonder if they'd done a version for Kate Winslet and it would have been him or it would have been a, an English trailer guy or something like that. But, uh, I mean, as an aside, I'd have really loved to have seen that film that she did, she did the trailer for with uh, with Lowen and Franco. Oh, yeah, I can't remember. Do we? I can't remember if we see the name of the film. No, uh, it's probably one of those weird ones that sound like Infernal Death or so, you know, one of those <laughs> chuck two words together and it sounds good. But uh, that's very much more my, my up my sesame. But um, Rich, what do you think of Jack Black's character? I feel like you might have a take on his interaction with Iris. I mean, he's he's. He seems like a nice guy and, you know, he knows his stuff. He's really into his film scores. So he probably has a podcast now, quite frankly. But um, we're, we're sitting there and and he's got this sort of glamorous actress girlfriend who cheats on him. And, and then you've got that kind of side as well. So there isn't, because he's not available at the time and, and you don't see that kind of she fancies him or he fancies her, but oh, this pesky girlfriend's in the way. And then they split up and him and and Iris become friends and and bond again over her friendship with Arthur. And you've got that interesting scene in the Blockbuster store where he gets all these films. He's talking about these scores and it's amusing because you've got, I mean, he's massively into Morricone. So he's got like the mission and and stuff like that. Um, And was it one of the films was a Hans Zimmer film? I can't remember which one it was. It was Driving Miss Daisy. That was Hans Zimmer, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yep. and uh, he didn't pick up the, the best of Going for Gold, the, the game show that Hans Zimmer also did the theme tune for. Um, <laughs> but, um, and then you've got Dustin Hoffman in there when he's talking about The Graduate, so uh, yeah, any excuse to link back to our episode about The Graduate. <laughs> but um, but I, I think he seems like a really nice guy, and he seems like good company. But, the, you know, and again, not every relationship is going to be this kind of glamorous throwing yourselves at people in a cottage kind of thing and and you know perhaps they they have a stronger bond based on friendship rather than you know anything else but i think you know the the only issue is that it's going to be awkward when they get to know each other better because she's not sort of been cheated on sort of you know she's been the third wheel in, in that part and then he's just been abandoned or cheated on by his girlfriend so there's going to be some um frank conversations and trust issues probably between them um, i quite they, like their meet hmm. cute when you get something out of her eye i think he looks very <laughs> handsome there i think it's kind of hmm. nice yeah <laughs> i'm not i'm not i'm not poo-pooing the relationship it's definitely it's nice that having the second one there well, not the second one that makes it sound bad but having the two different distinct relationships there makes gives you that opportunity to explore them differently and um anyway it's jack black he, he's probably a lot of fun to be around i think i mean like uh, nancy myers cast jack black because she watched school of rock and thought he was great and just wanted him to be uh in in her film and i think maybe a lot of actors end up being in her films because she's seen them in other movies and then sort of writes with them in mind and you can't really imagine anyone else being miles 
than Jack Black, I don't think. So I think he's sort of well cast in that respect. I have also, from doing the podcast I do, spoken to people who love the Kate Winslet and Jack Black relationship. So I don't think like we should be like, I, it's definitely not my favorite relationship in the film, but um, but but it's got its fans. It's got its fans. Oh, I'm oh, I'm completely um, in their camp rather than uh, the Cameron Diaz Jude Law camp. I have to say, I'm I'm invested in them more than the other two. Miles is is much more my type. <laughs> <laughs> which, which do you think would last longer? I, I, I think, the, honestly, the strong my favourite relationship in the film is Eli, Eli Wallach and Kate Winslet. And I think mm. that's the relationship that might last longest. I think she will be writing to him every few weeks and he'll write back and they'll have a really lovely relationship. Uh, he'll keep recommending movies to her. She'll like do her reviews back or whatever and it'll be just be a joy. That's the sequel I want to see. Yeah, that would be good. I mean, I think this really injured the whole old Hollywood aspect of this movie is so interesting and um, the way he builds up that confidence in Iris and kind of gets her to watch uh, you know some of these movies with people I guess they'd have you know like Catherine Hepburn Barbara Stanwyck it would be all of all of that uh, kind of um, those kind of actors and that's why it's really it is deceptively clever in the sense that it's kind of making a point about how maybe because I think sometimes we're a little bit in the modern in the modern world we can congratulate ourselves very much on sort of you know we kind of say oh yes you know we've progressed so much we're we're much stronger now than we've ever been before but she's kind of making the point that if you do go and watch some of those 40s films, the women in them, the lead roles, can quite often actually have much better dialogue, be much more assertive, self-confident than a lot of um, leading ladies are now in terms of the way they're written. And I think it's really great that Nancy Myers is making that point through Arthur's sort of mentoring of Iris. I think that's really great. I think in that era, there were there were lots of really strong you know, like say lots of strong actresses who who you know we are still talking about today but i also think because uh, i know those are the things that you know, inspired nancy myers clearly um so it's, it's kind of a love letter and maybe to old hollywood um through some of the stuff like quite literally with e.r bollock but also in you know some of the stuff that cameron diaz and kate winslet do in the film Toward, earlier in the film, in, in one of the first scenes with uh, Cameron Diaz, she's throwing her slippers at Edward Burns, and, and that's like literally lifted from—I forget the name of the film—but from a, a, a you know like a classic Hollywood movie that um, Nancy Myers watched with her daughter when they were writing this film. <laughs> she's like, "That's going in." Some of the ones we've watched with the the strong strong female character, I mean, we had it's happened one night and um, the the Finn Man. And you kind of look at those and you think, you know, we're nearly what, 90 years on from those. And you're almost semi-hoping that one of them would get mentioned by, by Eli Wallach about this this golden age of Hollywood. But it is interesting. And again, it's, it's almost like one of those weird niche Twitter accounts where you have, they talk about movies within movies. And you're talking about, I think when, when Kate Winslet's going for the DVD shelf on um in the the house in amanda's house and she sees a, one of the dvds is a film that she was in yeah. was it enigma i think it was um oh, yeah. yeah and then you're kind of wondering like at what point are they going to be going through the blockbuster and not come across the good the bad and the ugly or the magnificent seven or anything like that and you know there's this kind of weird kind of meta thing where they just pretend things never happened <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no that's a very good point where have you gone, Joe DiMaggio? I bet you didn't know. 
That was all written for the movie. It was a score, technically. I did know that one. Can't go anywhere. Oh, my God. Is it the case that when I hear people talking about this movie, I think some people think that the casting of Jack Black is quite, you know, just sort of something that's quite odd purely because he's not incredibly conventional looking by, by sort of movie standards of today? I think, well, Nancy Myers loves comedy. You know, all of her films have got a comedic edge to them. And some of her favourite, you know, if you look at some of her previous films, you know, she's worked with Steve Martin twice, I think, or maybe, yeah, I think only twice at this point. Um, you know, like, like she loves comedy. I think she finds comedy, you know, really attractive and, and, and really interesting um, as a quality in a, in a sort of a person. So I think casting someone who's mostly known for comedy alongside, you know, these, you know, sort of, um, you know, more typically attractive and also like just like bigger actors, like Jack Black at this point isn't the most famous actor in the world like Jude Law and Kate Winslet are um, or Cameron Diaz, you know, like he's he's kind of like the wild card choice. Uh, I yeah. think, but but she's kind of taken uh, with him through School of Rock. It's it's all School of Rock. It was really it was released three years before the holiday, and and she just really liked what she saw. I think, and and thought that that you know maybe with that sort of actor she could write something interesting. So that's the fun, and she is really like she loves his comedy. Like he would improvise sometimes, and he would make her laugh, and you know, and sort of disrupt takes like none of the other actors are doing that because they are more traditional actors who read what's on the script. Jack Black's the only one, you know, sort of riffing here and, and, and sort of having that back and forth. So I think she's, he's quite an interesting person for her to work with as well. Yes, I heard that the boob greys came from him, that, um, that, that actually happened to, uh, between him and Nancy Myers. And she said, oh, that's really funny. Let's put that in the script, um, which is a really good, I, I mean, I think that, that bit's kind of quite realistic and the sort of thing that might happen. A good bit of dialogue so yeah. I fully support the casting of Jack Black in this I think it's a good I think it's a good idea because as you say I think that she casts very charismatic people in her movies a lot of the time um in fact before we started recording Rich and I were talking about how much we enjoy Alec Baldwin's performance in It's Complicated and then in Something's Gotta Give you've got Jack Nicholson and people like Dan Keaton Meryl Streep are so incredibly charismatic of course so you know I think he's going in that tradition you know, when we used to have film stars that actually had memorable faces, if you know what I mean, you know, a bit of character there. I think that's it's good. It's good. I wonder if this is an evolution of his character from High Fidelity. You were talking, what, six years on, and he's gone from working in a record shop in Chicago to being a soundtrack guy in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. And it's the it's same a very guy. Similar he's, character. he's still Barry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's just, he's just, it's all connected, isn't it? It's, uh, this is, this is his, uh, where he's at. I mean, maybe it's the argument for all of them, you know, like is, uh, is, is, is Jude Law, Matt talented Mr. Ripley, is he now hiding out as a, as a dad in Surrey who edits books and has a cow? <laughs> well, maybe this is one of those weird time shift things where Kate Winslet and Eli Wallach, had it been Kate Winslet's older version in Titanic, maybe her yeah. and Eli Wallach would have got together. You know, I think that we should talk a little bit about Jude Law's character and the length of time he keeps it a secret that he has children. And um, I think all of that's quite interesting, looking at it from from the point of view of film that might be made today. Do you think it's... What do we think of him as a character? I guess he's... It's a funny... I mean, like, 
it's definitely drawn out for suspense in the film um but you know teasing with the women's names on his phones that <laughs> yeah. makes cameron diaz feel suspicious but i he does also say like you know he's defending he's, he's he's sort of protecting his children and he doesn't want to be hurt and and he's sort of trying to compartmentalize his life a bit because he's this you know attractive playboy um you know sleeping his way around surrey and yeah. uh and i guess he doesn't want sort of the kids to get in the way of his good time when he's got a night off and, and kind of wine so it's probably a little bit of him being selfish and a little bit of him being a you know, very protective dad yeah interesting what do you think rich i think there there is that element there and and like you say it, it's kind of it's in there for keeps but i think i mean in a, in real life and this isn't real life but you kind of think <laughs> people would take months potentially to to share that and obviously it comes across the, the way that she goes there and and finds him at home and he even then it's like are you alone no <laughs> um and then all of a sudden it's like, oh come in um but one thing i did f- think about when when you we talk about his character and the way that he kind of his personal life comes out and the fact that he is a widower and you know initially you think he's a shagger and then she thinks he's divorced or, or whatever on the side and also and there's this theory that was doing the rounds about the film that iris and graham were basically planning on killing amanda to steal her house because uh, graham had already killed his former wife <laughs> and inherited her house and um, Iris is over there just making sure that there aren't any loose ends. And then they're going to... I think it was a Reddit theory that was doing the rounds quite quickly. And um, and he's going to seduce her and then, and then dispose. And it's all sort of quite orchestrated. It's I very accidental. Con- yeah. I think that's quite convincing. I think Jude Law is slightly giving murderer vibes in this film. <laughs> it's that Mr. Ripley uh, thing. You can't think it. Um, Maybe it is that, because I do think he's so well-casted and talented, Mr. Ripley. I think, I think I have him as that kind of person in my mind. So when you're meant to just believe that he's just, you know, just like, yeah, I sew, I've got a cow, you know, all of these things. I weep, I weep. I, I'm thinking, what are you hiding? <laughs> what dark secrets are you hiding? <laughs> that's why you can't, you know, that's why he's uh, he's just always crying, thinking about the murders yeah. he's committed. <laughs> I've not heard that theory before. I have heard some theories, but that's a brand new one. Uh, the, the popular theory about the film is that Iris is dead. Um, her suicide attempts at the beginning of the film is successful, and the rest of the film is her in like purgatory or the afterlife. Oh wow, that would be wow. festive. It would be like a, a different version of "It's a Wonderful Life." Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I kind of sitting there watching, and then you kind of the bit where he and Amanda go for lunch and you're kind of sitting there thinking, oh, they should probably go for like a wimpy or something. Oh, it's an Nancy Myers film. Of course they're going to go for someone like that. But, um, but I I definitely (laughs) think like he's obviously thinking, you know, and again, it's called the holiday and Amanda and Iris on a holiday. So he's kind of having that holiday romance, you know, he's the Greek waiter. And yet we're sitting there thinking you wouldn't normally tell your holiday romance about, you know certain things because you think i probably won't see him again after this week is over this lovely sort of shirley valentine sort of week or something like that but uh you know when they come across this family and his two girls and everything and everything's all lovely because they've got proper nice cardigans and a tent in their bedroom that's far too big but you do yeah of course it's a soundstage in la but you do kind of think like i don't blame him for keeping it a secret but i think the way it's presented is clearly to heighten tension 
and to clearly give some sort of motivation for her to kind of feel like, ooh, I need to catch him out here. I think mistaken identities and that sort of suspense and like misunderstanding a bit of a farce again is that classic Hollywood you know sort of thing you see it in so many films of Cary Grant Jimmy Stewart Catherine Hepburn you know Irene Dunn all that sort of stuff um you know from you know I think that's sort of her riffing on on that a little bit you know um uh, but yeah it's I don't know maybe, maybe I, I think it's sort of put in as a frivolity uh, potentially you know and also for like something that Cameron Diaz his character has got you know like this sort of motive uh to dig a little bit deeper into this seemingly perfect guy yeah um, and I guess I can't really remember how I felt when I first watched it. Like, was I, I guess I assumed he was sleeping around because, you know, it's Jude Law <laughs> at the peak of his powers. Um, <laughs> was this after or before the nanny in real life? <laughs> uh, I, oh, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, that's a, that's a, that's a potted history. The, the lawyers aren't <laughs> listening. It's fine. At the, at the end of the movie, I do always kind of half expect her when she does that run back to the cottage to ambush him with a, with a woman. <laughs> <laughs> and then go and get drunk with the taxi driver. <laughs> and that's like the way her story ends. But, but you can tell this is 2006 and not 2022. Um, you know, he's deemed a hero because he didn't have sex with her while she was unconscious. Yeah. As though that's a yeah. chivalrous thing. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, times have changed, of course. But th- this is like, oh, he's a good guy, isn't he? <laughs> he didn't take advantage of a drunken Cameron Diaz. Oh. Hero. No, it's quite interesting the way the big twist with, with his storyline is that he's a really nice guy. That's the big twist. <laughs> <laughs> it's normally the other way around. Yeah. There's also, the, I like the extreme where he says, um, I'm a book editor from London. You're a beautiful movie trailer maker from LA. We're worlds apart. <laughs> 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 like Neither Romeo of these things exist. <laughs> it's an unusual profession to be depicted on screen. Probably yeah. the only movie trailer maker character in cinema ever amazing it finally looks like a hit and that is why they pay you the big bucks i think we should just go back to the original cut on the end it's so much stronger i agree and make christmas day twice as big but try it in a red like a happy red not like a scorsese red happy red (sighs) what about the uh scene where iris and miles are uh composing together the, the scroodly do scene because this divides opinion as well i think i think this is the most famous scene for dividing opinion like if, <laughs> yeah. if you mention the holiday to someone and they don't like it they will cite this scene this is the <laughs> one and they will just say oh it's, it's just all of this like fruit and but like it's not is it that's that's one small scene which at the time you know in the moment is quite romantic but can maybe be quite grating if you are sort of dropped into it cold. You need to be worked up uh, to that scene, I think. Yes, yes, I think that's right. I think that's uh, right. Because it's got some properly corny dialogue. But I think, again, the corny dialogue is, is maybe intentional because Iris has been watching all of these, you know, classic movies that Eli Wallet keeps uh, recommending her. And, and I think she's responding well to sort of corny dialogue at that point, looking for corny in her life. He says something like, if you were a melody, I'd use only the good notes. Um, <laughs> Smooth. You know, and like, okay, yeah, it's a bit cringe, but, but you know, I think for Iris, that's what she wants to hear because she's been immersed, you know, in a week, uh, <laughs> a week of watching only black and white rom-coms. I mean, one thing I, I did think about, and this isn't the point of our relationship-based podcast, but they managed to organise that benefit or that gala thing for arthur 
incredibly quickly, <laughs> don't they? And bear in mind, this is over Christmas as well. I mean, everything. I mean, bear in mind, you know, I, in the UK, everything shuts down at Christmas. You know, I mean, this year we've got a number of extra bank holidays just to kind of slow it down in case anyone was thinking of recreating it. But to organise all that, you know, within what a week, he chucks the letter in the bin gets fitted for a suit they write a theme <laughs> for him she does they do like a rocky montage to get him up those steps on his own and all these people turn up it's um it's not bad yeah iris is working so hard on her holiday isn't she like the amount yeah. of stuff that she packs in in terms of just like event coordination hosting <laughs> dinner parties <laughs> watching an incredible amount of films you know it's just like it's really she manages to pack so much in i think you forget that the film is so basically set over is it two weeks or 10 days like it's uh mm. it's such a tiny amount of time and it so, like it, it, it's peak holiday season. Like she is away for Christmas Day, and you know like, they come back on New Year's. Like, but they, yeah, they, <laughs> the, the the awards do is baffling, and it's definitely something that's probably best not to think about too much. <laughs> yes, yes. <completely>. Sorry. <laughs> so, what do we think about when Jasper travels all that way to come and see Iris on? Is it Christmas Eve? Maybe He's Christmas thirsty. Day. Thirsty. <laughs> uh I, I mean like that's sort of like the villain's last attempt to um you know sort of winning and, and taking his prize i think that's sort of like the almost like iris's climactic battle um yes. is you know can she resist jasper um he is Darth Vader, she could totally he? there's no sort of blocks at that point you know she's on her own in this house you know if she wanted to go yep I'm going to get back together with you. She totally could do. Um, but she's finally seen him for what he is, I think, in the cold light of L.A. sunshine. Yes, well, I like the contrast between the two relationships in that way, in the sense, I suppose, that Cameron Diaz, by being able to cry finally, it's like she sort of finds that kind of s soft little bit of vulnerability in her that she's able to access, whereas with Iris, it's kind of like, you know, her actually getting gumption isn't it it's like strength actually a sort of hardening of herself in a good way and um being being more resilient against some of these some of these people that might come in and as she says try and sort of waste a lot of her time i think i think that's really good about the way the iris uh narrative sort of climaxes because it's sort of about her discovering that element of herself more than getting paired up with someone i think what do you think so i think so i think sort of iris's big win is is finding that she doesn't need to be in a relationship she's yearning yeah. for a relationship or you know feeling jilted you know for the whole film and and i think through hanging out with eli wallach and watching these movies and and you know all of the sort of screenplay um, you know, language that <laughs> Eli Wallach's using with her. Um, she is becoming her own character. She's becoming herself and finding out who she wants to be. So that's why I don't think the Jack Black relationship will last because she sort of learns that she can be single and she can sort of do this on her own time. But, you know, if you can have some fun with Jack Black along the way, then why not? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Definitely. <laughs> so she, so, I mean, she, she's defeated Darth Vader. You know, she she comes out of this cheering and Cameron Diaz has learned to cry. I mean, that that's really... <laughs> when you look at the synopsis on IMDb for the film and it's essentially two women troubled with guy problems swap homes and meet a local guy and fall in love. I mean, when you really drill down into that, that's bollocks. And I think this film, once you get past 
a lot of the things that it's easy to dislike and it's easy to kind of think, oh, it's schmaltzy and that. It actually, it actually does have all that underneath. There is a lot of saccharine stuff, but I think the fact is, you know, it gets labelled like that. And when you go into it and the fact that it's very long for this kind of film. I mean, when we joked before I watched it, and I think it was, it was two and a quarter hours. Mm. You kind of think that's almost the length of the last Bond film. And you sit there going, wait, a rom-com? And not, sometimes you think like a rom-com, if it's over 90 or 95 minutes, and I know this appeals with your other hat on, Sam, you know, <laughs> a, a film can be too long and this kind of gets away with it because it's almost like two films in one. And, yeah. and you know, you've got each story. I know it's not exactly balanced, but you give it an hour and a bit each. You know, you don't overplay it too much and everyone comes out of the story uh, a little happier, a little wiser, a little more rounded. <laughs> I, think it, I think it does pack a lot in. Um, it, it, I don't know. Yeah, the runtime comes up sometimes with a holiday, like, oh, it's too long. But, you know, it's it's no longer than, you know, is something like It's a Wonderful Life or, you know, some of these sort of other great Christmas movies. But um, but you get a lot, you, it packs a lot in, you're right. You know, there are it's the same six, as Die Hard. six main characters uh, here which you're exploring and, 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 you know, obviously two of them are, you know, then the stories are sort of split. But Nancy Myers doesn't do short movies. Like, none of her films are under 90 minutes. So I could never cover her on the 90 minutes or less uh, podcast. Even her very first movie, you know, um, is, is, is over 90 minutes long. So, you know, she likes to take her time. That's what she likes to do. And we respect that. And I've just come to terms with the fact I can never cover her on the 90 minutes or less podcast. <laughs> no, she's, she's a bit like Judd Apatow in that way. I think that they're, mm. they're people that enjoy, they clearly enjoy their actors and um, their scripts, their writing, but also a little bit of kind of improvisation maybe with people or, or, or things that people want to kind of contribute themselves. And you can I can tell that with both of them, they really get into their filmmaking and really hate losing stuff you know and you kind of think they're both, well, they're both kind of uh auto directors as well like they're not yeah. going to take they're not they're, they're both write and direct you know the script is script is sacred i assume uh, yeah. for both and, and you know if it's in the script it's there for a reason i don't imagine they're both taking a lot of studio notes because they both came into directing after a long career of producing where yeah. you know they've kind of gone through all of that stuff so so nancy's kind of bulletproof and i'm sure jad apatow was because he was a producer and a writer for a long time before he was directing and and they sort of come as this you know like a big name a really powerful sort of entity uh, within the studio and i think the studio has to sort of back down and and is probably not necessarily afraid but i think they've, they they don't they know they need to pick their battles um with with Anansi Myers, uh, that's for sure. I've, I've spoken to a lot of people on the podcast, which are like, you know, she has such a clear vision, and there is one way things will be done, and that is Anansi Myers' way. And uh, and I think the studio is sort of hands off in that respect. Yes, yes, and also the the Hans Zimmer score for this film is is so popular, isn't it? For good reason. I mean, that run that Cameron Diaz does at the end of the movie, Back to the Cottage, with the score running over it. I always think that that does kind of lends that emotional emotional depth to that that moment doesn't it that climax of their storyline it sort of adds it adds to the the classic sort of hollywood nature of it but it also adds just value like it's such a good score yeah. um, and it, it really heightens the you know the emotions and the feelings and the comedy you know where, where necessary there's some lovely stuff at the beginning which 
sets up all of the characters and it introduces all of their themes. Like it's it's a really clever score in in that respect. And I think it's the second time Nancy has worked with Hans Zimmer and they worked together again on It's Complicated. Sadly, he was busy uh, for the intern. But um, but I also love that she can get Hans Zimmer. You know, like, I want the best composer in the world. Okay. <laughs> and I want you to not do anything like, you know, people know you for doing, you know. At this point, he's totally on his blockbuster sort of run. Pirates of the Caribbean is out, I think, the same year or one of the sequels, which he also composed the music for. And and she's getting him in here to do to do this film. But he loves working with her. I, like, they they they're both on the director's commentary for the holiday, and um, they've got a really good chemistry. Oh, I should listen to that. that, and that's beautifully in keeping with the storyline as well, isn't it? Having such a lovely score. And Sam, have you got some new installments of the holiday season podcast coming up this Christmas? Yes, so yeah. we're we're. I, I don't know if it's true, but I've, we, 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 or if we've made it yet. But we are going for the slowest release sort of rollout of of um, the holiday season. We do one or two episodes a year. We always release at Christmas, um, between Christmas and New Year's, which is when the holiday is set. And and that is that is what we do. We're not going to release any more. It would be wrong to release any over summer. Uh, so we're just <laughs> working on our one or two episodes for this Christmas. And uh, and yeah, it's just sort of nice to dip in with long <laughs> sort of intervals between it, and and just sort of see see what's going on in the world, and and you know who who we come across, which holiday fans we might bump into uh, this year. Well, that's perfect because it's a film that that so many of us revisit at Christmas because it makes you feel so festive. And you're not thinking about the holiday over June, are you? Like it's like Christmas no. <laughs> time, the holiday's on telly. I, 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 one of the reasons we make the podcast is because I am fascinated by those films which only come out at Christmas but are incredibly well-known, probably some of the most watched and loved films of all time. It's Wonderful Life, Muppet Christmas Carol, Die Hard, as you mentioned, all that sort of stuff. But they they, they sort of get this extra breath of, um, of, of air over Christmas and... Uh, I, I just sort of love that. Like you don't get that for any, maybe Halloween, but in, in cinema land, it's all, you know, like films are always there, but I think we can, we collectively retire these films for 11 months of the year, but we know exactly where they are to bring out like the Christmas decorations, uh, mm. you know, when it starts to get a bit cold and uh, a bit darker outside. <laughs> I'm pretty sure last year, 2021, I looked in this and love actually were available on pretty much every platform possible streaming itv2 um they seem to be just so available it was like for that sort of month or so in the run-up to christmas it's like if you want to watch it you've got no excuse you it's everywhere we will put the dvd in your shelf if we have to <laughs> I, I, I think when when we did the episode on love actually um i found that it was available on sky's pay-per-view movie thing for free it was just like we are making you watch this you have no choice if you don't own it on dvd you, you can't escape it and if you want to watch it without adverts even better but this and this and love actually i mean what a what an era for those sort of films it was i wish they'd make some of the ones from the 30s and 40s a bit more available like things like the shop around the corner mm. And uh, the Bishop's uh, Wife and Christmas in Connecticut. All of those films are so great, and and you know which I'm sure Nancy Myers loves all of those ones as well because of all of the storyline about old Hollywood and this one sort of ties into them. So I wish they'd make them a bit more easily easy to get your hands on at this time of year. Uh, Nancy Myers definitely, uh, she definitely loves the shop around the corner. She mentioned that on our on our podcast. That was one of her favourite Christmas films. Oh, there you go. Daddy? 
Yes. I am, Daddy. Amanda, this is my daughter, Sophie. Sophie, this is my friend, Amanda. Hi. How do you do? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Very well, thank you. Do you want to come in? Oh, oh. no, I just... Hi. Come here. Daddy, who is this? This is Amanda, and Amanda, this is my youngest. Olivia. The, the nature of the film, the time frame the film is set, those sort of 10 days or whatever where they are on holiday, there is sort of like, you know, like there's an end state to the relationships in theory for the characters. And, and it, I think sometimes on holidays, you can, you know, you, 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 your relationships can be a bit more intense. You know, you might talk to strangers or, you know, bond with someone in, over a drink or, you know, make friends with the couple on the table next to you or, or whatever, or have a chat with the people on the plane because you're all sort of in the same boat. It's all quite temporary. Um, and you've all chosen to go to the same destination or, or or whatever there, and you're looking for things in common, like, oh, you're from the UK, I'm from the UK, let's be best friends, okay. And <laughs> uh, I, I sort of think that's just an interesting narrative device to, especially for the themes of, of, of your show, you know, like display a friendship, you know, the, the short shelf life friendship where you both know going in, our plane tickets home, you know, are in next week, so... You know, like you might just have this sort of everything just might burn a little brighter and and burn out a little faster uh, there. And you know, these relationships maybe aren't designed to continue beyond the the time the film is on screen. Uh, so yeah, I think it's like a bit of I guess you're, it's a bit like a microscope uh, in that respect. Yes, well, I've always thought some a film like Dirty Dancing is so popular, kind of partly because of what you're describing there. It really captures, doesn't it? That that feeling of just having a few weeks somewhere and so if you're going to do something you're going to do it and it's going to be very intense and then you're going to go on with the rest of your life and there is a sort of romance about that isn't it yeah <laughs> yeah so it's totally romantic because it's everything's a bit you're away from reality you know Kate Winslet's away from her hideous beautiful cottage in Surrey and Cameron Diaz <laughs> is away from that nightmare LA giant mansion that she lives in and you can properly escape you know <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Be impulsive for once in your life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Darling, you send me. Darling, you send me. Darling, you send me. And if you do, and if you do, and if you do. Well, I guess um, it's, it's time to return our cottage back to its owner and our mansion back to you. But uh, Sam, seeing as we're trading places and going back to each other's places, um, where can people find you and your fine array of podcasts? Oh, please do keep in touch. Uh, you can, wherever you're listening to this, you can find the holiday season. Uh, I think at time of recording, there's nine, eight or nine episodes uh, looking at you know various bits that went into making the holiday from an interview with Jude Law, Graham himself, uh, and Nancy Myers, to people who worked on set dressing, locations, producing, uh, an actor who was totally cut out of the film, but is still every year credited in the Radio Times, uh, which was great. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so do, do check out the holiday season. I think that's a nice follow on from this chat. But if you like films that are under 90 minutes long, you can check out the 90 minutes or less 
film fest uh, and that is a totally different beast where we celebrate films with an under 90 minute runtime we've done some rom-coms uh, but not many uh, not enough i don't think um on that one but uh, but yeah keeps me busy two different podcasts and then you can find me on twitter at sam underscore Clements. well as we dab at our eyes and purchase yet another plane ticket we wish you all a christmas filled with chocolate covered macaroons meat cutes and cows i've been cat i've been rich and i've been sam and this has been don't you want me yeah.